Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode 26 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. In this episode, you get to meet Amy Liseski, who's a bit of a drama queen, but in the best of ways. She uses the methods of improv and drama to empower people to be better leaders. Have some fun with this one. You're going to love it. Those little moments where, as a leader, we walking through the halls of our company and somebody that with our company that we don't really have a lot of meetings with, we don't know very well, approaches us and they say, you know, how you doing? I had this idea. Oh, gosh, treat that as a gift. That is a huge gift. And if you don't have the time right then and there, which a lot of us don't, take that opportunity to say, I want to hear more about that. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So my guest in this episode of Garage to Goliath is Amy Liseski. Amy has a fun-filled journey that I'm excited to share with you. So Amy was the owner of a company called Essential Information Partners, is the founder and CEO of Finest City Improv, the author of Relax, We're All Just Making This Stuff Up, Using the Tools of Improv to Cultivate More Courage and Joy in Your Life. By the way, love that title. She's a fellow vicious speaker, and most importantly, is changing lives with joy and fun. Amy, welcome. I'm really excited about this conversation today because you actually, for a living, have created an entire company that uses fun to improve outcomes and build better leaders. So first, explain, in your definition, what is improv? Well, good. Well, hello, hello, Dan. Um, improv is uh, something that I absolutely love, though I think it terrifies most people. <laughs> I think we're all improvising in our lives daily. But here's what I do is I'm, I have a stage in which I go up in front of, uh, my theater has 55 seats, so if you imagine 55 people, hopefully if it's full, <laughs> sitting, staring at you on a Friday night, and they're ready to be entertained. Now, you're standing on stage, and you have no script. There's nothing planned. You have no props, no costumes. Uh, you have no sets. There's absolutely nothing. But what you do have are your teammates. You have the other people on stage with you. And so what we do is we get a suggestion, a one-word inspiration from the audience. It could be anything like flour or cheese or um, vacation or love. And we then create a show, a theatrical show that's completely improvised on the spot. And sometimes we even have songs and dances in that. Um, it's an absolute uh, joy. It's, it's a thrill. It's very risky. And when it all comes together, it's really, really exciting and fun to watch. So you know that would completely terrorize the average person. Absolutely. And that's how we started teaching it to other people is because not a lot of people want to do it to get on stage, but it's a great way to get over your fear of failure, to get over your, um, to be able to communicate better with other people. Because yeah, we're a team that has to perform under such high pressure that we have, we have a progression that we take people through, you know, from level one through six at our theater, at our training center to get them, and actually, honestly, by the end of or middle of level one, they're getting on stage and trying it out themselves. And 
99% of the people are nervous when they go on stage and come off stage elated and say, like, I just did that. That's awesome. What a, a natural rush that must be for them. And, and, and so you start this company in 2012. Where did the idea come from? Well, I have always been in uh, acting in some way or the, or the other or performing, dance, theater. And I do have a master's in library science, and I was working as a consultant for many, many years helping biotech and high-tech companies manage their information and knowledge. And I was on the side still doing acting, still doing performing as a dancer, as an actor, just really enjoying that. And I one day decided to go take a class up at the Second City in Hollywood, and I'd always been a big fan of theirs. And I just decided that I just needed to do this more, that it just fit me so perfectly. And so I auditioned for their conservatory program and Next thing I know, I was spending three years, spending most of my time in Los Angeles. And uh, after a while, though, when I finished that, I had a choice. I had to move either to L.A. or, you know, or stay in San Diego. But San Diego didn't really have much of an improv scene. We didn't only have one improv theater. And it's a, it's a different type of improv than I do. It's the, the Whose Line Is It Anyway style short form improv. And I really wanted to have an improv theater like the Second City or Iowa West in Hollywood. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. Why not build one? So I did some, uh, that's, what I, that's how it started. And so did, had you started other companies before that, or was it an entrepreneurial mindset that you had? Um, well, I had my, my company, uh, Essential Information Partners, I had started before that, and I'd been running that about 12 years, um, a consulting business. So, yeah, both. And that was your first business. And then, so, so how did you make it a reality? Because there are so many people that have these ideas. And so, I mean, you've got to get resources together. Did you have those resources? Like, can you walk me through that process? Because there are a lot of people, a lot of listeners right now that are out there that have that idea. They want to take that risk, that that leap of faith. Um, How did you really make it a reality? So I think it started when, so I was working full-time for a company called Diversa, a biotech company, and I was working there about five years. And I started to notice that some of the scientists were moving on to start other companies and they would say to me, I really wish I had someone like you at my company. And I realized, well, I can't clone myself, (laughs) but what I could do is outsource my job to myself. So I actually decided to go out and, and start a company and I convinced the company that I should outsource my job to myself. So I got a contract to continue running the library uh, services there. And I found a couple of people that uh, were coming out of library school or scientists that I knew that were interested. And I just started mentoring them and started training them in in doing some of the day-to-day operations that we needed to do. And I went and got some more contracts. So that's how I built the first company is by um, listening to what people were saying, listening to them say, oh, I wish we had somebody like you, and then saying, well, you can have someone like me, and let's just figure out, let's figure out how that works. In doing that, um, I was able to make um, some, some good money, and so that's when I looked, when I wanted to do this improv theater and training center, and I had built up some money. And so I used some of my own money, and I got an SBA loan, and that was like one of those things where I thought, who's what, what? Is somebody going to give me a loan? I don't know. So, yeah, this is a matter of reaching out and starting to talk to people and finding out, yeah, can, can I get a loan for this? And, and I did. And then I actually have a couple of friends that I said, how would you like to uh, invest in this? They, they put a little bit of money in. And uh, then it was just a matter of working my schedule so that I was doing less with the consulting 
and had time to do things like start to teach, start to look for space, start to figure out how to get through all of the red tape, you know, with, with the city for permitting and things like that. So first of all, how, how hard was it to get an SBA loan? Not, not as well. It's time consuming and it's, there's a lot of paperwork involved, but I think they make it very accessible for people that don't think that they, they would qualify. So if, if you're on the fence and you're thinking about it, like I went through, um, uh, CDC loans is community development corporation here in San Diego. And they really, they want to help people get these loans. They want to help businesses start and grow. So, you know, it's a matter of calling them up and talking to them and and going in and having a sit down with them and explaining your idea. And they will help you figure out how this could happen. And then you talked about friends putting in money. Can we talk about that mm-hmm. for a second? Because so, did you give sure. up some ownership, or I mean, how do you ma- how did you make that decision to bring on other people? I did, and I don't, and I, you know, and it's about it's ten percent of the ownership for these two people. Um, partly, it came out of I wasn't sure at that point um, how I was going to give up the consulting business and manage an improv theater because I didn't see a big upside financially to the improv theater. And so they were really interested and I thought, well, that helps that I don't have to put as much of my money in and it'll be great to have some team members to have some, we can have each other's backs, you know, when we need it, when we need some time away. Um, at this point, I don't know that it was really necessary and that it's been, it's worked out, it's been as helpful as I thought it was, but it hasn't been harmful. It hasn't, hasn't been a problem at all. Um, yeah, so it, it, it kind of just came up as at first I thought I was going to try to fund the whole thing that way. And then once I got the SBA loan, I didn't really need it, but they had already expressed interest. So, so I took their money anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I hear that. And there's, you know, there's a security part of that too, that is not all, all of yours or all on you. Right. I'm just always curious to see how people think about that and how that turned out. So you have a team now, but how long did you do things kind of just you? Was there a time? Yeah, there was a little bit of a time. So even though before we had the, the permanent theater location, we started doing shows around town um, twice a month at temporary spaces, and I started teaching. But even right when I started doing that, I looked around and said, who else here in this community has similar desires, similar interests? And I started to pull those people together. So I think one of the things you know that I did or do well is organize people, is pull people together that have a similar interest and help set a vision for what it could look like if we pulled together and, and made this happen. And so I sort of led in that way. And I got a, a small group of people that would get together and practice improv or let me teach them what I'd learn and have them teach me what they learned and help put on these shows. And from there, um, you know, the, the day-to-day looking for for locations and all that kind of stuff was mostly me. And then once I did get the permanent location, I hired my first employee full time. Um, and her name is Kat and she is wonderful. And she's still with me today. And that's been about four and a half years. So why did you choose that person? What, what made them special that they would be yeah. your first hire for your company? Um, what I, what I was, I was wowed by her because she came in not only prepared, but excited about the possibilities. And, 
you could tell that she was somebody that was like, let me on this bus, you know, to use the, the bus metaphor, let me on this bus. If you need me to drive it, sometimes I will. Uh, and I have no, you know, it's like, she was just like ready to, to jump in there and do whatever it needed to, to do because she resonated with my vision. And I had, you know, explained where I was, what I was trying to achieve. And you could just see that she would light up for light up about it. Now, the other thing that I reason why I chose her is I was looking for somebody that would complement my skills. And I am my, my strengths finder is all about futuristic and ideation and, and, um, and that kind of stuff. And for her, she loves building relationships. She is a people person first and foremost, and she wants to build relationships. So she's the person that would get up, get on the phone and make sales and things like that. So what I was looking for too, is I needed my integrator. So if I was the visionary, I needed somebody that was going to be the integrator and that was going to be, um, working the phones and, and registering people and doing all kinds of stuff like that. So it was a really great fit, and it still is to this day. Love hearing that, and I love the way you talk about her. She, I'm sure she'd be very proud to hear that because you, you earn that. <laughs> you know, you earn that from people, so that's exciting. So, so you've brought this up a couple times. You created this vision for these, these people as you went around the city with, with her, with other people. What was that vision? I mean, you, you know, did you, mm-hmm. did you have this – desire to create a facility? I mean, what was the vision that you were sharing? I had a desire to create a home for the largest variety of improvisational theater in San Diego. So there was one theater already that has a very specific type and it's a specific show that plays every Friday and Saturday. What I'm drawn to about improv is that it gives you the ability to take risks, that you make bold choices, that you try stuff. And sometimes it works and sometimes it just doesn't. Um, but if you get enough different teams, and so what's really cool about our theater is um, we put students up on stage almost every night of the week. We put our regular house teams, which are like the pro teams, up every night. But we also put up guest teams. And there's probably now, when back when we started, there were probably if we scrape together five teams and now every two months we do a schedule, we're trying to fit 70 to 80 teams that wow. have developed over the years. Yeah. So people just, you form a team and you're like, we want to try this. And we literally have a night called um, twice a month called open house night, which anybody can get up and try anything as long as there's some sort of improvisational element. Uh, the challenge behind that is, uh, you know, the regular person that doesn't know much about improv walks in and see some shows. And sometimes they're like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, we do, we do manage that. But yeah, the vision was that what if there was this place where you could come and experiment and take risks and just find joy and find a lot of fun and play like a kid again. So that was the vision. And that would, there would be a thriving training center that would have, you know, these, when we started with five levels, we now have six plus a graduate conservatory and that, and then the corporate side came slightly later. Yeah, I was just going to say, did you start off with services for businesses, or where did where did that idea come from to use improv to help people build better businesses? Well, I looked at a lot of uh, models of other improv theaters, and for instance, like the Second City, which would be the holy grail for me, is that they they have a very big, thriving. Uh, what we would call applied improvisation practice. So they take improv, the lessons that you can get from improvising and take them to uh, teach people about leadership and um, building teams, communicating, collaborating, these kinds of things that are uh, essential in businesses. And so I knew that financially too, that that was a big part of how certain 
uh, improv companies survive or thrive, I should say. Um, there's a couple of things. They have a bar <laughs> or they do corporate Let's get to training. the important stuff right away, right? Yeah. Love the bar. And so, the, and yeah, so they the do the bar and the corporate training. Yeah, and they do and the, sometimes those go together very well because we bring companies in and they'll do a two hour connection workshop and then they'll go to the bar, have some drinks and stay for a show, which is a, a lot, really fun, fun way to do that. So like, yeah, I knew that, I knew that that was going to be a part of our business model. And the second year I really started to build that. And I knew that with my business background, that it was just a really great fit that I would take the lead on that. And I have a couple other people that are in my community that one, for instance, that moved from New York and he's a former lawyer turned improv and clown. And, and so he already had a, he'd already been working for years with lawyers and taking improv to lawyers. Um, I have another one that's, that's like a head of marketing for a company, but also does improv. And he's been in, in infusing play into uh, every team that he leads. So I had other people too, that I could draw on. Yeah. It sounds like a fun time. And it's, I, I love that you've been able to find a business model with this. So, you know, can we talk through the five fundamentals of improv for business? And you, you mentioned this okay. uh, in your book. Number one is perform as an ensemble. Okay. What does this mean in improv and how does that translate to a business and teams? Great question. So uh, that scenario I told you at the very beginning where we go on stage and we have nothing planned. Let me tell you that what we do, no matter how many times we, we've performed, is we get nervous. And, and if we didn't, I would be concerned about us. <laughs> um, so we look at each other. And before we go on stage, we pat each other on the back, look each other in the eye, and we say, I've got your back. Because we know that when it comes down to it, it's, the, it's our team that has to operate together. We, we have to work together to create something extraordinary. So what we're trying to do is use all of our individual strengths and put the, but put the team first. So we, when we go out there, we know that everybody's going to have each other's backs. And so this is what I teach people when I go to teach team building is how well do you have each other's backs? And we get to play a lot of games in which you can see the different levels of what I mean by have each other's backs. You know, and as the pressure gets on, um, more and more pressure, then how well are you still performing as a team? So, And we have a statement in, in improv. We say the only star in improv is the um, ensemble itself. So if, we, if you're watching a show and one person's just continually standing out, you know, and you're seeing that person sort of like taking the spotlight a lot, that's, that's, not, that's bad for improv. What you want is to watch that and be like, wow, how did those people all do that together? That, that was incredible. That was like one well-oiled machine. And I can see, especially from a business perspective, like getting a group of employees or, you know, a team together to try to make this happen. I mean, it puts a lot of pressure. And I, I think that that's a bonding mechanism, too. I mean, to, like you talked about, the you know, having your back type mentality. For, so not just on the stage, but then in business itself. So number two, you talk about right. the yes and. And by the way, this is so exciting for me because I talk about yes. writing a yes and story. So I'm interested in hearing how you talk about it. So how do you help whole companies and teams embrace that yes and? And is there resistance to that? Oh, yes, yes. So um, yes and there is. So, um, so yes and really is the shortcut phrase that we as improvisers keep in our head at all times. Because what it helps us do is create positivity and create action and, and possibilities. And what I mean by that is if when we're up there, somebody has to take action. Somebody has to make a choice and either take an action or say a line of dialogue. And nobody knows what's coming. 
So what, what um, the people that started doing improvisational theater probably 60, 70 years ago, the modern, the modern form of improvisational theater, which, which um, is what formed the Second City, is that they would find that the scenes that created the most action and possibility, that, that were the most enjoyable to watch, were the ones that when, some, when people agreed with each other, when they found a way to agree and continue down that path or that idea. So basically what we do is we treat every idea and action as a gift. And what this does, it creates a growth mindset. It creates a, yes, if that's possible, what else is possible? And that simple phrase just has such power to quickly improve interpersonal communications and cultivate a culture in which ideas can flow freely because you can put an idea out there and you know that before you get a yes, but before you get a no, um, before you get some sort of where you have to defend your idea, you're going to first get, hmm, what I really like about that idea is, or yes, and what would be really interesting about that is. Now, in terms of the pushback I get, the hard part is we practice it saying, we literally will say yes and, and then I do understand that people in business say, well, you can't say yes to everything. So that's why I say this is about a mindset. This is about, do you approach uh, people with a yes, but attitude, with a quickly looking for ways to poke holes in their ideas or poke holes in possibilities, or do you embrace the gift? And this can happen. So for instance, like our... Um, our lease on our place is coming up and there's going to be a 50% increase in our lease. And we have a couple ways of responding to this. Uh, you know, and we, we, we took, we took a minute to go, Oh gosh, this is terrible. And then we went, yes, this is the situation. And what's great about this? Where, where can we find value in this? And so we've started to, our, our, our mindset is starting to look at all of the possibilities because that's, that's the reality. We can't change that. So we're sort of yesing the, the current situation and adding value to what's great about this and looking for the positive side of things. So it helps us in a couple different ways, I guess. Yeah, love that. You know, it's a mindset, like you said. And, and I just think that, you know, we write the story. And what story do you want written? Is it the yes, but story, this, and? And it's so easy to exactly. blame others or blame the environment. I mean, really, we can only control what we can control. And so – and that's our actions. And so definitely, yeah. definitely appreciate that. Is, is there, what is the paradigm shift that you see in people? Is it just the, the way they take that back to their families and their businesses? Well, as you, yeah. And as you mentioned, I'm a, a Vistage speaker and this is the, the big takeaway usually for the leaders in these groups is they realize, they start to think, oh, well, if, if someone who's just had the courage, because, you know, you're in a leadership position and people are looking up to you, and for somebody to approach you with an idea is a really big deal for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's, it's a vulnerable place to be, right? Because we, we do associate personally with our ideas. And so to bring an idea to somebody that's high up in a company is it can be a very difficult thing for somebody to do. And so I ask them to please consider how they're first responding. And I, we practice repeating back what they heard, first of all, using active listening to repeat back so the person can verify that, yes, that's what they wanted to say or, you know, know that they were listened to. And then to go ahead and try to say and and, and find one valuable thing about what they said or, or say what you liked about that idea 
to keep the, to get the conversation going, because a lot of times what happens is people get nervous and they won't leave with the thing they were trying to really say that, you know, like you got your brains going and you're working <laughs> it up and you're like, here's what I want to say. Here's what I would say. And you get there and out comes something, not quite what you thought. And so if you immediately lead with, yes, but we tried that or yes, but that's not really our kind of thing or yes, but then that person pretty much shuts down and there's less likelihood of them approaching you again. So if you want to have this culture in which ideas flow freely and people are bringing you ideas, you know, and so they know that you, we talk about this open door policy. Well, how about an open mind policy? And so this, this is by leading in this way, when people bring you ideas, they're going to bring you more and more ideas. It's going to be a little more time-consuming, but it just depends what you want to accomplish. And by the way, probably applies really well at home also. This is not just from the business perspective, so that's, no. that's a good takeaway for all of us. And so you, you talked about taking action, and that's number three. And I can see this one being very interesting because first, you know, what does this mean in the context of improv for business? Well, so what I'm really excited is um, Harvard Business Review just finished this spring a 10-year study about what sets successful CEOs apart. And they came up with four essential behaviors that help candidates get the top job and then thrive once they're in it. And the first behavior was deciding with speed and conviction. So I was so excited about this because what we have to do is we're in the moment, we got a word and we just have to make it full choice. And we just have to commit to it. That's what, that's what people can, that's why people think of us as thinking on your feet because we quiet, we quiet our inner critic and we just go for something and we try it and we see what happens. And, and if we fail, we commit to it even more and just to, you know, see where else it can lead. Um, so yeah, the number one behavior that they found in this, in this fantastic study was that the high-performing CEOs, they make decisions earlier, faster, with greater conviction. And the key point is they do this amid ambiguity. So they don't have complete information. They're in unfamiliar domains. But if they take these bold choices and just and they, they are the decisive one, um, they're 12 times more likely to be high-performing CEOs. That's a huge number. Um, yeah, so that was really excited to see that. And so that's because that fits perfectly with improv. That's what we're doing. That's what we're teaching is taking a bold choice, making a bold choice, committing to it, and seeing where it's going. Obviously, the alternative is what we call analysis paralysis. We're sitting there evaluating, evaluating before we have any more information, and that information might not be coming. So at some point, someone needs to make a bold choice. So that is so interesting to me because I have a business mentor, Ron Bailey. I talk about him a lot. He was one of my first. He was the first podcast interview that I did, and Ron is brilliant. But one time he told me something so interesting. He said, "Hey Dan, you have to make a decision, and you have to be right most of the time. So good luck." Uh-huh. And I just thought, that was, you know, no pressure. But in the end, you know, you can't just say we're thinking about it all the time. And it goes back to that analysis yeah. by paralysis, you know, type mentality. So. Um, appreciate that and uh, love the 12 times more likely to be successful. So number four, you say be flexible. So let's discuss this one. What's the biggest roadblock to this fundamental and how can leaders overcome it? Okay, so be flexible is about being adaptable. And actually, uh, one of the other behaviors in this study was adapting proactively that, um, you know, dealing with situations that aren't in the playbook. You want to have a playbook. You want to have a fantastic playbook. And I'm one of these people that loves strategy. I love thinking about the future and I love putting strategic plans in place. But as we know, the world keeps turning and things, you know, don't go as we fully planned them. 
So what I encourage, especially leaders to do, if they're going to be able to lead confidently in situations that are unexpected or that are you know outside of their comfort zone, is to proactively practice being out of your comfort zone, which is, I think, why a lot of the Vistage chairs bring me in to speak with a group because they want to give the opportunity to have like a learning lab where you have to be outside of your comfort zone and practice that because that's going to happen. And the more confident that you can lead through those moments, the more you're going to instill confidence in the rest of your team. And you're going to be showing them that it's okay to, to keep, to make mistakes. And when change happens to look for the positive in it. Well, I think for you, I mean, that's probably one of the most interesting and, and expected ones because when you're up on stage and somebody, you're asking people to yell out random things. I mean, you have to be very, very flexible at that moment to be able to handle pretty much anything, off-color, crazy, I mean, just anything, and either, either laugh through it or... or well, and sometimes it just comes out of our own mouth, and yeah. that's why we say, that's why we say we practice uh, embracing mistakes or failure, because there, and, and, and I, I like to say mistakes more often now, I used to say failure a lot, and I know that's in my book, but I'm starting to say mistakes because it's less scary to people, mistakes seem like less important. <laughs> and, it, you know, one of the mistakes you want to make is um, the mistakes you make because you're outside of your comfort zone. Because what's happening is that those are moments of growth. And the other kind of mistake you want to make are aha mistakes. And that's when something comes out of my mouth or a teammate's mouth on stage that we're like, that's not what I tried to say, but we make it, we call it making it right. We go, yep, that's <laughs> exactly what that's called. Or that's exactly what that's, and we have fun with that. And we laugh at it and we, we do something uh, in my workshops. We, one of the first things you learn is to take a failure bow. Like we, we purposely play games to get everybody to make as many mistakes as possible. And we, you know, that wincing that we, we naturally do when you make a mistake, we turn that wincing and we turn it into a big old bow. <laughs> we take applause for it. Well, and that's part of the fun that you have. So, so that's number five. So you went perfectly into that. So that's find the joy. And joy, you know, uh -huh. this is great because stereotypically we think of work as arduous or unenjoyable. How does understanding improv help infuse joy into work and joy into companies? It helps you relax. It helps you connect with other people. Um, and humor is, uh, with the type of humor we teach, we don't teach telling jokes. I don't really know many jokes. I know one really bad pirate joke. Um, <laughs> but when you're connecting with people and you have this yes and mindset, you just find that there's more joy. There's generally more joy and, and you find that you're more open and to celebrating success. I think that one of my favorite quotes is don't take life too seriously. You never get out of it alive. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's finding the, the time to, to celebrate each other and, and have fun with what you're doing. So you can't say you have one pirate joke and not tell it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the pirate's favorite letter? What is it? Well, everybody usually says R and then I say, no, it's the C. Nice. See, exactly. Oh, yes, yes, it gets better. Yeah. All right. Well, see, that was good. No, that was good. So uh, I appreciate that. I got to take a risk. And uh, so, do, so let's go back. So, do you work with companies on an ongoing basis? Like, is it a one time workshop? Like, do you come in? How, how does your business structure work from that perspective? It's mostly one time, although there are certain businesses that bring us back um, many times for different departments or as like a tune up. So, almost everybody starts with more connection, like a team building workshop, um, 
improving interpersonal communication. And then some of every now and then we get ones that want to get deeper into the collaboration piece. One of the things that we've had the, the great fortune of doing is we are part of WD40's leadership lab. And so every year they have, they have this really great program where they have training for people to become leaders and grow within their company. They bring us in each year as a, a portion, an afternoon of that. So that's really neat because we get to work with that with uh, the emerging leaders each year. We've been doing that for a few years now. Um, and, and so I, how, just, how I would know, love to have more time. How do you know you've been successful with a company? We get feedback from them. So I will literally, I will check in with them uh, a week later. I will, you know, ask for a testimonial and, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, everybody's walking around saying yes and. Everybody's, you know, everybody seems more positive. Everybody's really, um, I mean, the, immediately after a workshop, we'll have people coming up to us. It's like, oh my God, I've never seen my fellow employees this way before. And it's so much fun and I feel so much more connected to them. So that's the first thing is immediately we get that. And then we'll check back in with certain companies. Um, and we get a ton of referrals from our, from our companies um, to other people. And what they'll say is that people just embrace the idea of yes and. And they are just doing a better job of communicating with each other. Do you have a way that you get feedback? Like, is it a set way? It's mostly just a phone call. Just a phone, phone call to check in with the person that hired us to make sure that they, yeah, that they're happy. And then do you continue a follow-up? Do you follow up with them in any way? Which, I, yeah, so um, I send out once a month um, content. I send out information, you know, articles and things that I write and videos. And then we'll check in with them periodically throughout the year to see if they have other events coming up, if they need a keynote for one of their all-staff meetings or something like that. What's really great is when we get to a company, like when we worked with Hera or Green Flash, we got to do, you know, an all-staff keynote, interactive keynote, and then work with each of the different departments and um, and then sometimes get called back to do like um, a leadership um, just the executive team, something like that. So that's really great because then what happens is you don't end up with one group within a larger company all being like, yes, and, and then the rest of the company be like, what are you talking about? Well, also, it also is a testament to how you're doing and then the success that you have when they bring you back and they want more and more and more. And, that, and yeah. you, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about your book, if you don't mind. In Chapter 4, sure. first of all, great book. In Chapter 4, you. You, you talk about the opportunity failure creates. And, and listen, I'm going to say that again, right. the opportunity that failure creates. And that's interesting yeah. because most people don't like failure. I don't like failure. So what does it mean to fail spectacularly and repeatedly? <laughs> well, you know, most people in business know about rapid iteration. And so that's, I think, where the, the easiest connection is for, for business people is that what we're doing is we are practicing rapid iteration. And this is every single one of our shows is that every single one of our shows is let's go out and take the biggest chances we can, because if the bigger the risk, the greater the reward. And one of these shows is going to be so phenomenal that we're going to walk out into the, into the bar after and people are going to say, there's no way you made that up on the spot, which does happen. And it's the best feeling in the world. So if you imagine your business, if you want to have that huge breakthrough and in not every business, that's not everywhere your business is, but some businesses are, or certain departments are, they're like, we need a big innovation. We really need a big breakthrough. We really want to, you know, change the model or whatnot. I really think the only way to do that is to 
go for failure spectacularly. Now you're not aiming for failure, but you're not being crippled by fear of failure. And that's what you have to get the set the mindset for. It's funny. I interviewed a friend of mine, successful CEO, and he said, you know, I, I want people to fail every once in a while to take risks because that means we're pushing the envelope. And, and it, you know, right. you don't want to make the same mistakes twice or three times, but just, you know, be willing right. to take that risk. And so what does failing often and well look like in a business? And when, so when you coach CEOs and teams, do you have any practical examples of how that's kind of changed things, their mindset? Okay. Can you repeat the first part of that question? So, so you talk about failing often and well. And so what does that look yep. like in a business when you coach CEOs? And so any practical examples of when you've been coaching somebody or there's been a problem and yeah, I would say, that? I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is, is a word that makes still makes me nervous, which is vulnerability. When, when you, you know, letting go of control as a leader for me is very, has always been very difficult. And because I'm afraid if I let go of control, we're not going to be as perfect as we could be because in my mind, I've got it all work, you know, I'll work out how to make it, make it perfect. So what that looks like at failure is letting go as a leader, knowing that you're going to do your best to, you know, whatever model you follow, situational leadership, you're going to, you're going to lead your team through the different, different quadrants of that. And you're going to do your best, but there's going to be failures along the way. And what you're going to do is be there to, go back and lead again and re-demonstrate or, you know, find, debrief it in a way that's not non-judgmental and say, what can we learn from this? And great, what will we do different this next time? Fantastic. And let's, let's, let's jump right in and go for it. Kind of like we do when we play our improv games. The second we make a mistake, we just all clap and take a big failure bow. We'll make, we wait, stop for two seconds and say, what, what did we learn from that? Great. Let's incorporate that. And we jump right back into that game and we keep that, we keep momentum moving forward. So you said vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you said vulnerability, vulnerability. makes you nervous. Why why'd you say that? <laughs> because it's about vulnerability is about opening yourself up to criticism, I guess. I guess it's about the, the criticism of the like, oh look, you didn't do that very well. And I've always been the one that's like, um, very like I want to be I want to succeed and I want to get that trophy and I want to get yeah, I want that um reinforcement that I that I did a great job. So that's been for me the personal area where I've really had to grow is that as a leader and the more and more people you lead, the more the more, you know, the larger your company is, the more you have to be able to let go of that control, right? So um for me that's a vulnerable place to be in. And so I myself have, have failed many times at that. And I and I've learned to be very and this is what Vistage has helped me with. I've learned to be very authentic in communicating with my staff members about that. That this is the area that I'm trying to grow in, and I would love feedback on how I'm doing on that. Look, if we're all honest with ourselves, I think all of us would agree we're all making mistakes. We're all just trying, you know, going through this together. And and life is is an improv, right? A session. I mean, right. you never know what's being <laughs> coming your way down the street, let alone, you know, future financial opportunities or struggles. So you also talk about giving and receiving gifts. And I call this concept yeah. dream sharing in my life. So, um, and, and, and in your book, you liken it to not bringing a bottle of wine to a party, but can you Talk about what you mean by giving and receiving gifts. Okay. Um, so in improv, what giving and receiving gifts means is that every, every action, every line of dialogue, 
the other the other teammates treat it as a gift. They look at it in in a positive way. They're like, "Yay! I wasn't expecting you to say that or do that. That's ex- that's an awesome idea. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> play with that. that, right? So that's what we have to do up there. Otherwise, we end up putting up a lot of barriers, and things are kind of awkward, and they don't go well. And we try to shoehorn our own ideas in rather than creating the possibility that's right in front of us. Um, Maybe the best example of that that we use is we have this metaphor that we say, bring a brick, not a cathedral. And what we mean by that is there's five of us out there sitting on stage and we all have an idea of where, as soon as we hear the suggestion like banana, we all have an idea of where this might lead to or what the show could be about or where the show could lead. Now, that's our cathedral. We each have a cathedral in our head or somebody has an igloo, somebody has a cathedral, somebody has a mid-century modern ranch house, you know, so we all have these different ideas of what we could build. What we have to do is one, whoever the first person out brings only one brick and puts that out there and said, here's one little idea. That's a gift. And then we have to say, oh yeah, that is a gift. And we have to add a second brick rather than being like, well, I'm kind of wanting it to go this way. So what we have to do is realize that we don't know. We, not, we might end up with uh, an RV in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have to realize is that every one of those little ideas along the way was a gift from a diverse group of people that if we embrace all of those, we could create something that not, not one of us could have thought of on our own. Um, so you know the yeah, whole time the whole time you're talking, I'm just picturing just the application of this within family, within you know the business yes. side. I mean, there's just so many great. It's just a mindset shift of how you take in information and how you view it. And so, how do you suggest my audience practice this in their in their own lives? I would say first of all, practice um, catching how often you say you lead with your response is yes, but. Or, um, you know, we've done this before or something like that and it didn't work. Or, yes, but that won't work because. And I want you to first just repeat back what you heard. So, so Dan, if you were to give me an idea, say, give me some simple idea that maybe you're excited about something coming up in your life. I want to go surfing this afternoon. Ah, you want to go surfing this afternoon. Yes. And this afternoon is supposed to be a great weather. So um, I could have led with, especially if you were somebody that I work with, uh, yeah, that'd be nice, but <laughs> we got to work. It's like, yeah, he probably knows he has to work. Like that's, that's not what this is about. This is a moment to connect. This is a moment to find common ground and, and to uh, find possibilities. So, um, you know, he'll probably, he might even lead the next statement with, yeah, unfortunately I have to work. So it's just, it's, yeah, simple mindset and it's going to create more connection between people. I will tell you, you know, get to the point where my teenage daughter would say, please stop doing improv on me because she knew it was getting to her. (laughs) She knew that we were connecting and she's like, I don't want to connect. Why are you connecting with me? Let me just shut (laughs) down and go through these years (laughs) so we can be friends again. No, you know it, it. It goes back to and I and I give my wife credit for this. She had a talk with me early on as as a mom. You know of of these kid three three kids uh, that we have together, and it's just so much fun that she, I'm so glad she talk, told me. She said there are going to be times when we're so tired and we're not, we're not in the mood and we don't want to do something, and mm-hmm. they're going to ask us to do something. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to drop what we're doing. We're going to do it because eventually they'll stop uh-huh. asking. And there was yep. a time on Thanksgiving a few years ago where we're cooking dinner and it's got to be done. You know, we're at 3.30 in the, 4 in the afternoon. We're going to eat early. And our youngest one came in and he said, 
the waves look incredible. We should be surfing right now. And she gave okay. me this look, and I just knew right away. Everything just got dropped. We all went out, and all five of us got up on one wave. And we we talk about that to this day. And you know what's so funny is we will never, you know, we would have never talked about years later, you know, how dinner was served right at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But we all talk about that wave, and that's an opportunity that happened because we were able to kind of just go with it and and right. and, and find the yes and moment in that. And so yeah, and you hadn't planned it all out. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, well, you know, it had been planned out, but then, like you said, something comes along and new opportunity, and, and yeah. you head down in that direction. So, you know, as a speaker for Vistage, and as a reminder, of my audience, I speak for an international organization called Vistage, which is this. I, I describe it as like these groups of CEOs all across America and around the world that meet, and they use each other like a board of directors, and they talk about issues and solve problems and. You know, it's really a one place where you can kind of be vulnerable and talk about issues, but you also speak for Vistage. And can you share with my audience like two ideas or paradigm shifts that you talk about with your Vistage groups to speak to? Like, what what do you talk to? Sure. About? Yeah. Well, first of all, I talk about a lot about how important it is for us as leaders to to cultivate support and trust. That support and trust are the foundation of all great teams. And there's no way that an improv team or a great basketball team or a great, a great baseball team could, could do any, uh, anything that they do, accomplish anything they do without a certain level of support and trust. And that, that just doesn't come naturally in organizations. It doesn't come naturally in, in just two person relationships. So it's something we actually have to focus on. Um, and we have to, to teach and have to take time out to do. And the, the way we do it is we use humor to help people connect and play some games in which they can really see how they can have each other's backs. And on the second thing, I'm, I'm, for this, I'm going to pick something that we were just talking about, um, about the, the yes and and about that mindset. I would say it's about those little moments where as a leader, we walking through the halls of our company and somebody that, you know, with our company that we don't really have a lot of meetings with, we don't know very well, approaches us. And they say, you know, how you doing? I had, I, I had this idea. Oh, gosh, treat that as a gift. That is a huge gift. And if you don't have the time right then and there, which a lot of us don't, take that opportunity to say, I want to hear more about that. And, and this is even if you've already heard this idea before. <laughs> I want to hear more about this idea because that person's different from every other person in your organization. There's a reason they're there. They're talented. You wouldn't have hired them if you did, if they weren't say, can I get you on my calendar? Can you come by? I want to make sure that I can sit down and really give you the time that you deserve because I value you. And so that's like a simple thing that I teach that it's, it's hard. It's hard for an idea person like me, you know, to take that time out and sit and listen to people's ideas. But the bond that it creates and the culture that it creates and the, the culture of idea sharing and having each other's backs just goes a long, long way, especially as change is happening in organizations, as, difficult, as you're going through difficult times. That time that you've spent building that culture is going to make all the difference. And also, it may be a better idea. It may be a better way to do things. And so, you you know, if you're willing to listen to these things, there's a great company in in North Florida uh, called Gate Petroleum, and uh, Herb Payton runs that, and Mitchell Rhodes is one of the um, 
you know, one of his top people has been with him for a long time. And we were in the gym one day, and I'll never forget, we were talking about leadership, and and he said, Dan, I'm convinced you get one opportunity for somebody to think outside the box, to be innovative with you, to really, you know, mm-hmm. want to help you. And the way you handle that one moment is so crucial. Yep. Because if you yep. just shut them down, then, you know, from here on out, why bring you another idea? Why tell you a better way to do things? And so you've got that's to really exactly be it. willing to listen. And like you said, I, I love that you view that as a gift. And so that's just completely, I want you to know, just changed my mindset on how I view not only, you know, from my own family, but from my business, you know, from friends, the information that they're bringing to me and the way they're communicating with me. So loved that. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think really, the hardest part is that the hardest part is I know that I want to say we tried it before. And then I had a thought, I, I one day had a thought about that. I was like, wait, I tried it before because I thought it was a great idea because I would love if that idea did work. So maybe this person has a new way, a new approach to this idea. And that my, my, my approach wasn't the only way. So that was a little aha moment I had once. And I was like, okay, yeah, tell me about that. And without telling them, well, we've tried that before. Well, speaking of listen uh, to their idea. Well, and and speaking of, by the way, trying things that haven't worked. I mean, that happens yeah. in life and in business. So, can you tell me a story in your life, maybe where you weren't leading well? You know, and how did you come to realize uh, it? What were the symptoms yeah, of yeah, less yeah. than ideal leadership? Um, one of yeah, I tend to want to jump in and just get stuff done because I have very little patience. And so that would lead me to moments where I was like, I don't have time for you to, to learn this skill, you know, to somebody that works with me. I'm just going to jump in and do it. Well, all I was doing, obviously, was making my life harder. <laughs> um, I was doing things that I did not need to be doing, and I was not helping that person grow. Um, situational leadership model has been very helpful for me in that, and that understanding that it takes time to develop, even if you're... Um, if you say you've worked for an improv company before, that doesn't mean that you're going to know the way that our company works. So even though if you've been in one industry, you go to another company, you have new, you bring skills, but there's new ways of doing things. And so even that person might need to be led through that. So yeah, there's been many of those times where, where I'm rushing through stuff and I'm not taking the time to to bring that person along with me and to develop their skills. So I've improved on that. <laughs> okay. And, and, and have you been able to keep your, you know, self on track since then? Or do you kind of fall yeah, off the rails? I very much. Went, oh, I fall off all the time. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but most of the time I'm trying, I'm good in it. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I'm going to think about that some more. I got to think about that. So what, what have been some of the most difficult challenges in your career while in leadership roles? Like, how did you lead through those tough times? And maybe what did you learn from them? Oh, so like difficult situationally? Yeah, just situationally. Like, you know, sometimes... Um, they always come down to, I would say, you know, if you're, they always come down to, to people. I just think that ideas and information and things like that, you know, they make sense. You can put them on spreadsheets and then... People are messy. Human beings have feelings and emotions, right? So, and even myself, somebody who's highly trained in reading body language and emotions and, and you know, portraying different emotions and playing different roles, I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with um, when people have other stuff going on their, in their lives that they bring into the workplace. and you have to be understanding of that and work with that. And maybe you're in a slightly different place at the moment. You're like, 
this is what we're working on right now. And sometimes you just have to stop what you're doing and, and meet that person where they are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's the empathy side, isn't it? I mean, it's It's, just understanding to say, leave that at the door. I mean, sometimes that's just impossible for people. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we can't even leave it at the door. I mean, when things are weighing on you so greatly and I, I just see that all the time and, I, I, I don't think we can solve their problems. I even talk about this in my speech a little bit. Um, you can't solve their problems and we can't you know, necessarily always be a counselor, but we can definitely show people that we care, that we love them. And, and you know, right. a lot of these people give you their heart and soul on a regular basis and we should absolutely love them and care for them. I mean, wouldn't you want the same? I'm somebody that does understand what you're going through. So, no, I really appreciate you bringing that up. And, and we are spinning really fast on a dangerous planet. I mean, lots of crazy things happen. You know, Vegas happens. Right. I mean, these – these things just come out of nowhere and talk about having to be flexible, talking about, you know, all these points that you – great points that you brought up so far uh, today. I mean all those things come into play uh, and, and you know, finding – even through tragedy, finding, you know, the opportunity to, to strengthen, to, to be stronger within your family and community. I mean all these things. So this, this is all great stuff. I love this. Yeah, I would add too that it just reminds me too. Like I love that you're like we're not therapists. Yeah, I'm not. And that's not that's not my zone of genius. But what I can do is I can be empathetic, and then I can kick in my what I am good at, which is connecting people with resources, finding them, you know, the help that they might need, and um, and recognizing recognizing that and helping make that happen. So. And by the way, an important part, and then I can see see that connection right there from what you had said earlier. So that's that is good, and that's what we can do, isn't it? I and mean, we can always, we may not be able to help them, but maybe put them in the right direction so they get the help that they need. So what is what is the one thing that is critical for your company to have a competitive advantage? Because you did say there's you know another competitor yeah. in your market, and there's competitors in other markets and everything else. But what is the one thing that you think is critical? One thing I think that's critical is that people experience joy from what we do. And this is why we, this is what we've made our guarantee is more joy. And what we mean by that is if you walk into our theater, you're going to experience more joy in your life. That's why you, that's why you took the big leap of getting off the couch, turning off Netflix, which is our biggest competitor and coming <laughs> in to our theater and either watching a show or taking a class. And you're going to walk, you're going to, when you walk out of that class, you're going to have more joy throughout your whole body. You're going to feel it. And this goes for our corporate training too. Every time I go in and do a keynote talk, you know, between the humor and the risk taking that we do and getting people moving and getting people laughing at the end, they're feeling a little more joy. And that, that joy is connecting them, that connect is helping them retain those lessons. You know, that's, that's what laughter can do. That's why the second city is so successful with what they do in terms of political and social satires, because they can approach really difficult subjects in a humorous way. And people connect with that. Wait, are so, you saying laugh at ourselves? Is that what you're saying? I mean, yeah, that seems so wild I'm and crazy. Saying, I mean, we should all just be offended by everything <laughs> and talk about, you know. <laughs> laugh at ourselves and laugh with each other. Yes. And yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. So our competitive advantage is that we embrace anyone and everyone that walks in and tries to help find them some more joy. And if, and if joy means that they're seeing their team working together and being more successful, then that's what we're going to focus on. And we're going to do it in a way that's really fun. And from a business standpoint, you couldn't ask for a better message than that. I mean, just find joy in everything and, and help everyone who walks through your door and even those that don't. I mean, I think that that's the neat thing about 
business today is, you know, profit is a byproduct of all these great things that we do. But how do we add yeah. value to human beings? How do we add value to our communities? You know, everyone in that community, every single person. And and so let, let you know back to what is the most important decisions or what are the most important decisions that you make as a leader of your organization? Do you think it's related to strategy, finance, or people? You know, I'm going to go fifty fifty strategy people because I think you've got to have and and I use I work with the people to create the strategy. Absolutely, they need to. You know, I am a big proponent of uh, we have weekly meetings where they have check-ins on their quarterly goals and that one thing that they're going to accomplish next week, the one thing they accomplished the week before. Um, we all share those. We share um, success stories. We share red flags. Like we are deep into strategy and knowing what we're trying to achieve and how we're going to measure it. But then the whole other side is, are we using the, are the people being able to apply their greatest strengths, their best skills to towards those goals. So are these so are these 50/50. are these ter- okay I appreciate that and and I would I would agree with that. I mean that's a, that's a great um description and 50/50 and then again finance is the byproduct of all that but go back to the byproduct. Other, so you said red flags. So are these terms that you use? Yeah. 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 So what we're always saying is I want to know what and I want to know one red flag from everybody this week. So maybe this is new information that we didn't have before about a project we're working on. Uh, maybe this is um, a complaint from a customer. Maybe this is something come up in their life that might get in the way of them being able to accomplish the most important thing they need to do the next week. Um, and that, that, what that helps us with that, what we do at that moment is that's when everybody has each other's backs. That's when we're like, if there's some way that other people can jump in and have that person's back, because if you don't bring those up, we can't help. We can't help you have your back. So we can't help you. So that's what we're doing with that each week. And you do that each week? Every week, yeah. Like on Friday or Monday? Like when do you do it? Middle of the week, just because we have such a busy weekend. What we do is like today, like Monday, we're pretty much decompressing from a busy weekend. Tuesday, we're getting our stuff together. And Wednesdays is usually uh, midday Wednesdays is when we do this. Okay. And is it like a yeah. long meeting? Is it an hour long? or No, it's an hour and a half. We start with a uh, really fun improv game. And then we have uh, personal check-ins, and which is like, what's your one rose for the week? What's your thorn? So that we do talk about, so um, so that we know what's going on with the, with the different people that we work with. And then we go into check-ins and everybody has a um, has their three goals for the quarter. And then they have the one thing that they're going to do you know, there's a lot of things they're doing, but I want to know what's the one thing that if you work on this week that is going to make, have the biggest impact towards this goal. Wow. Just keeps everybody on track. So we do a lot of strategy. No, I <laughs> and like then that. I do, yeah, thanks. I so, like that stuff. So what is, describe the one trait you look for in, in your top people and why. If you had to choose, I know that's hard, but just one trait that you look for in your yeah. top people. I would say the ability to... Oh, you're making me pick between two. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say ambitious. I'm ambitious myself, and I think if you've got, a, if you have drive, if you have the the desire to see growth, you're going to be looking for opportunities, and you're going to be looking for ways that you can jump in and you can work towards those. So that's yeah, I'm looking for ambition. Nice, nice, and and I I look for that also. Just you know, somebody who's hungry, somebody who wants it. 
Yeah. And, uh, the people that, the other people that work for me, a couple of them have literally been just, they've been uh, work study students or they've been students and they were just like, this is changing my life. I want to be around this all the time. I'm going to work for you. And I was like, oh, you, you're going to work for me. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, why don't, why don't I take you out to lunch so I can hear about that? And literally like one of my best employees now is, is that we went out to lunch three years ago because he said, I'm going to work for you. And I said, now he runs the theater. So <laughs> I was like, yep, okay. And yeah. what a testimony to you as a leader. I mean, somebody who's that compelled, <laughs> they want to be around you. They want to be around the opportunity. They want you know, the vision that you've created. So that's, that's yeah. definitely a testimony to your success. So what one piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self and why? I'm always fascinated with this question. I wish I had relied more on the people that are in my position now. Like I had, a, I, I was very ambitious, but I really thought I got this. I can figure this all out. I don't, I'm a, I'm an island under my own. And, and if I had just gone in and, and sat down and talked with some of the mentors that I did have and opened myself up a little bit more and, and listened more, I didn't listen as much as I should have. I probably could have accomplished even more and learned so much more, so much quicker. So if you have anybody that you admire, if you have somebody that you're a mentor, just sit and listen more. It's like kind of like what we say in improv after a show and our coach gives us notes. There's all kinds of stuff going through my head that I could, you know, I could interject and we just say, take the note, which means don't talk, just listen, take the note, think about it, spend a day to think about it, do what you want with it, but take the note. And I wish I had done that more when I was younger. Nice. Yeah. No, especially if you have those people. Cause, and, and by the way, those people could be parents. It could be grandparents. It could be just business uh-huh. mentors, neighbors, friends. You just never know who – and such a wealth of knowledge uh, that's out there yeah. so when you're willing to listen. So can you share with me a little bit – and we won't spend too much time on this, but, but I just want – if you hopefully you don't mind me asking about your family, personal life, how do you maintain balance between work, personal life, be present where you need to be? Okay. Well, I don't have a lot of it. I'm single in my, um, I have, I had a foster daughter. Um, she's now 18 and she's moved into an apartment. She's in community college. So it is just myself and my dog. But those past five years, yes, I I had a, a foster child. And, um, how did I maintain balance? One of the things I did, one of the best things I ever did is I took my email off of my cell phone. I just one day about a year and a half ago said, if I can't, look at the email. If I'm out doing something that's not work-related and I have my email on my iPad. So if my iPad was with me, I knew that I could be interrupted by work. If my iPad wasn't with me, then I couldn't, I couldn't look at the email. And it's so funny because I actually then had less stuff that I was, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to come back when I do check in my email or I do check, we use Asana for task management. I'm going to check on Asana and there's going to be all this stuff that was waiting for me that I missed. And the more that I did this, the less that I missed. Because when I was doing work, I was, like we call an improv, like I was fully present in the moment. And then when I was not doing work, I was more fully present in that moment. And rather than sort of being one foot on the boat, one foot on the dock, and now I'm mixing metaphors, but (laughs) I I was able to really focus. So what a difference that makes. And it's hard to do at first. It freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, and that's a huge commitment. I mean, most people can't do without that, or at least they think they can't, and that's the difference. Yeah. So, so uh, wait, you you just kind of skimmed by this. So you were a foster parent, so thank you for that. I mean, yeah. as somebody who's had two, uh, a brother and a sister that were both adopted, I appreciate oh, yeah. that so much. And so how did that even come about? Do you mind me asking? 
No, not at all. Um, I myself was adopted uh, as a baby. I um, I wanted to be a mom and I wanted to help. I've always been somebody who likes to help um, kids, um, kids in, uh, that, um, you know, didn't have as much as I had growing up. I was with Teach for America for a couple of years. I taught in the inner city schools in New Orleans and that made a big impression on me. So I knew that I wanted to um, help a child. And so I started looking on this website for children that were waiting for families in San Diego. And I saw this girl and she was, uh, since she was 11, it turns out she was 12 at the time and, and 12 and a half. And so I got approved to be a foster parent and which I'm making sound really easy, but it was a lot of work. Sure. And uh, I said, I want to help this girl. And so that's what I did. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's about it. How exciting, how fulfilling. I mean, I just think that's so great. It was, yeah. So, very challenging, very fulfilling. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, but a lot of good things are challenging, and so you got to just kind of take them head on. What would make you feel more fulfilled today? Oh, I'd like to, um, I'd like to, I would like to have more of a personal life. Um, one of the things I would like to be doing is I'm a sailor. I love sailing, like cruising, so I'd like to be sailing around the world, and I would love a co-captain, as I call it, to, <laughs> to do that with. That would be really great, so anybody's listening. <laughs> exactly. I'll put that out there right away. Appreciate that. Thank you. Especially if you already have a really nice catamaran. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Now we've got, I like it. She's creating the vision once again, exactly the vision That's that, you're, that you want. <laughs> so it, any causes that you're passionate about? I, yes, absolutely. Education and, um, you know, for children and, and foster, foster kids. There's, I think something like 6,000 children in the foster care system in San Diego alone. And, and, um, you know, I'm very familiar with, with the system. And I, so what we do is at the theater, we, whenever we can, we do charity shows or we'll donate tickets or donate classes to silent auctions or things like that. Um, for, we just did one for Casa de Amparo, which uh, is a great organization that, um, helps abused children and, and homeless children. So yeah, that's my cause. Nice. And, and paying it forward always appreciate that. There's a bit of a misconception in society as to, you know, what business actually does. And some say the role of business create jobs or pay people. Really, I think it's how do we, you know, add value to others in, in our people and, you know, the, the, not just the people, but communities and profits are a result of all that. We've said that. Um, but what does Finest City Improv do to create value? Like, what what is the company's big why? I know you had said joy earlier. Is, is that what the big why yeah. is? That's its big why. That basically that we recognize that improv is for more than just entertaining. It's transformational. And this was a big surprise to me because I went to it as an actor. I went as somebody who wanted to be on stage with a light shining on me and having people applaud and laugh. <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> and we started teaching classes, and I found that more and more people – had never seen an improv show. They weren't interested particularly in getting on stage and they weren't interested in being performers. Many of them became that, but what they wanted was more joy in their life. They wanted to meet people. They wanted to get over their, their shyness. They wanted to be able to connect at a networking event or a happy hour with other people more easily. Um, they just moved to town and wanted to meet friends or were going through a divorce and were feeling really down. And that's what they found in our classes. And so our big why became, wow, use improv for transformational purposes. And that's why I ended up writing the book that I wrote. I wrote the book for people that don't know anything about improv and that might never even do improv, but 
they read the book and hopefully they'll get a little bit of, of what it is that they could get from a class and maybe they'll get the courage to come to a class. See, impact, impact, impact. All you're doing is adding value. <laughs> that <laughs> That's what society, we, we should be working for, you know, just to make a difference. And, and, and whether you like it or not, it's leaving a legacy. It's, it's, it's really uh, making a positive impact. And so somebody influenced that. Is, is there someone who's had a significant impact on you as a leader? Can you describe oh, that geez. person and how they impacted you in your life? Hmm. In that way? That's interesting. I mean, I would say that my parents, you know, that they, they always, they never told me what I should be or how I should do it so much as just said, you're smart. You, you can achieve whatever you want and you're going to. And it was just like never a question. It, it, it got me when I was why I went and when I went into teaching at first, um, I literally put a sign over my door in my first grade classroom that said, you get smart here because I like that mindset of you're not born with a certain destiny. You, you work at it. And so I think I got that from them. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what comes to mind. So clearly, and, and they must have done a good job. Because, and that whole concept, what you just said about, like, they didn't tell me what I needed to be. Uh, there's a great video on, on YouTube, What Do You Desire by Alan Watts. And I, I love that because essentially it says, yeah. you know, find your passion in life and follow it. And, yeah. and clearly, Amy, you have followed that. I mean, uh, Thank you. you know, just and getting to do what you love to do on a regular basis and maybe making some money along the way. You can't ask for much better than that. Uh, well, I think you said it best that if you're following your passion and you're adding value to other people, that that's when you're going to be successful in terms of like financially, it's going to work out. That's, yeah, it's going to work out. So in that same vein, in my speeches, okay. I asked the audience to answer the question, how do you want to, you know, how do you want your children to describe you to their children? What will your legacy uh -huh. be? So Amy, in your wildest yeah. fantasy, how would you want to be described? The word that comes to mind immediately is generous. If people say I was generous, like just saying that right now makes me emotional, makes me really happy because that means that I understood the gifts that I was given and that I tried to give gifts to other people. So generous. Yeah. And, and generous in so many ways, right? Generous with love, generous with fun, generous with, you know, teaching, learn, you know, all those different things. So, yeah. well, Amy, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you, Dan. I have to tell you, I'm the beneficiary. You just give me and hopefully my listeners just tons of gifts that we can take with us. And it, oh, really, makes it, it really makes an impact. So I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for all you do in the, in the San Diego community and, and, and around the country for Vistage as you speak and for other organizations, but just really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. Have an absolutely joyous day. Listeners, my team and I are working on some fun and exciting things coming from the Quiggle Group. So stay tuned for that. It's coming. In the meantime, though, please be sure to subscribe to Garage to Goliath in iTunes or SoundCloud. Don't just listen. Subscribe. Subscribing helps others find the show. Please also leave an honest review. Your reviews help me get better as a host and help make this show better for you. And I'd be so grateful to you if you'd share this podcast with others on social media or send a quick email or text about the show to another leader you think would enjoy the podcast and that it would encourage them on their leadership journey. You can help me get the word out by sharing the podcast so that we can continue to build our leadership legacies together. Thank you.